May we turn, please, in our Bibles to the 135th Psalm, 135. And our text is found in verse 4, For the Lord hath chosen Jacob to himself, and Israel for his peculiar treasure. And then in verse 13, Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. We are one of those generations. And as one of those generations, we find ourselves at the close of 1967, when the world changes the calendar and we start calculating in terms of 1968. Tonight we will have our watch night service, as we've always had. And we give out our awards for those who have read the Bible through in 1967. We have our testimony. Tonight your pastor will be speaking on, Behold, I make all things new. And this is another one of the phrases today that can be taken and twisted around. The new theme or the theme of the World Council's meeting in Sweden this 1968 will be making all things new. That's their theme. And that's very satisfactory to the communists because all their propaganda is that they're making all things new. And also it's very satisfactory to the Christians because the Lord says he's going to make all things new. The only difference is that the way the communists have of making them new and the way the Lord has of making them new are two different things. But you can take a phrase like that and put it up here as a title and bring a lot of people in under it. And I'm going to speak tonight on making all things new. And then we'll have our watch night service from 11 until 12. And I do hope that all of you will make a special effort to be back here uh, for the service and for the great watch night testimony this evening. But we are a part of a generation that is passing on. And we're watching a generation gather about us which will carry on in the continuing of the numbering of the years until our Savior comes the Prince of Peace. Now this text of ours says that Jacob, and I've been speaking of Jacob, Jacob is the one that God has chosen, and that Israel is to be his peculiar treasure. And I thought perhaps that in this presentation of Israel, that for this New Year's message today, I could emphasize our part, our place, our responsibility as a part of the true Israel. Because we are that. We have, as children of Abraham by faith, become the heirs according to the promises. And we are under the same great covenant vows and the same great glories that God had promised to Abraham. And it is Isaac that thy seed shall be called. It is unto Jacob that the promises have been given. And we have entered in by grace through faith and we indeed are the wild branches that have been grafted into the good olive tree. And those of us who have come to know our Savior and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are a part today of the Israel of God. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we have these great and glorious responsibilities. I thought even that I would go 
into a more particular approach. Because this text of ours says, For Israel is his peculiar treasure. And then we read, Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. And if we are to preserve this memorial into 68 and 69 and 70, on up through the years until the Lord tarry, it is this generation which has the responsibility of seeing that the succeeding generation takes the torch of truth and lays hold upon the volume of the law and grasps the great standards of righteousness and carries them on. And it's in that sense today that we are the peculiar treasure and we are the sons of Jacob and we must carry on and carry on until the Lord himself retires. Well, if we come to that place, we must ask ourselves immediately, what are the means which God has given us whereby we can do this? We are here. We are believers. We have been the recipients of grace. Now, what are the means that God has given to us today that we may do this work in the 1968. I know that you people have all arrived at this church this morning. You're here, and you came here by some form of transportation or some form or some means. What means did you use to come to church today? Well, I'm sure that some of you walked because you live at hand. I am sure that some of you came by bus because you don't own automobiles and you use public transportation to get to the house of God. I am sure that most of you came by automobiles. And I'm also sure that your automobiles are all manner of varieties and stages of repair and conditions of transportation. But you arrived here by means of an automobile. Now there are some of us, I guess, that got here by airplane, but that's very few. But we have all arrived at this place by certain means. We got here. And these means made it possible for us to arrive. Now what are the means that God hath ordained whereby we should be able to pass on to the next generation that which we have received into our hands? What are the means? As you have been listening to me on the radio the last few weeks, I've had great pleasure in reading from the larger catechism of our confession. And I've taken particular pleasure in reading from it because the United Presbyterian Church doesn't have it anymore. They've completely discarded it. It's not a part of their confession of 1967. And yet this larger catechism spells out in the most detailed manner the great system of revealed truth which we have in the Bible. And the longer you live, the more you appreciate the larger catechism. Now, most of you people learned the shorter catechism with its 107 questions, and I learned them when I was a boy, and I think everybody in our church ought to learn them and ought to know the shorter catechism questions. They'll stay with you and be with you. They'll be a blessing to you as long as you live. But the larger catechism even goes into more detail in these matters. And one of the questions that our forefathers put down 
in the shorter catechism and in the larger catechism. One of the things that they wrote there for the church was this question, what are the means which God hath ordained whereby we ourselves can enter into the blessings of the work of Christ and hand it on down to our children? And according to the Bible, there are three ordinary means which God has ordained for this purpose. There are three of them. Now, you all know what they are, at least if you've been here any length of time. You all know what they are. There may be some that don't know what I'm going to start talking about. But there are three means that God has ordained. And the first of these means is the Holy Scriptures. That's the first one. God has given us this Scripture as the means whereby we are to obtain grace, comfort, the knowledge of his will, everything he wants us to have. And this pertains to us in our personal relationship. It pertains to us in our family relationship. It pertains to us in our church relationship. And it's in these areas, particularly the personal and the family, that I would like to emphasize as we come to the end of this year and as we think of 1968 together. The second means which God has ordained as set forth in the scripture is the sacraments. And there are two of them, not seven of them, there are just two. The first one is the Holy Communion which our Lord has given to the church which represents unto us our feasting, our feeding, our communion with Christ and with each other. And the second one is our baptism. That sign, that seal, which we take on to ourselves, which separates us from those with our, which are without and identifies us with those who are within and who are indeed the church and the body and the bride of our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The third means of grace which God has ordained and set forth so clearly in the scripture is simply prayer. Prayer. Personal prayer. Family prayer. Corporate prayer with the people of God as we pray together here today in the service of divine worship. These are the ordinary means, and beloved, they are the only ordinary means. And God Almighty gives us this special grace by the ministry of the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven as we attend unto the Word of God. And as we attend under the faithful honoring and recognition of the place of the sacraments in the life of the church. And as we maintain and enter into a life of effectual and fervent prayer according to the will of God. Now God has said that if we will attend to these means, that we will have grace and we will progress. And we will arrive. We'll be able to accomplish great things for his glory. I think one other thing needs to be made very clear before I get into the details of these 
of these areas of our responsibility. And that is that these means penetrate to the spirit. It doesn't mean that they aren't efficacious in blessing our bodies because they are. If you live according to the word of God, you'll, you'll have some blessings out of physically in your body. But they penetrate in the fullness of what God intends to them for them to accomplish into the inner recess of your being and your soul. And furthermore, these means are for the nourishment of your spiritual life. We're all very interested in our physical interest, our physical well-being. And when I look at the mothers with their little tots about us, and you just let a little fella get a cold and it upsets the whole house. You, you just let some little thing happen, and, and if there ever was a generation that looked after the bodies, we'd do it. If there ever was a generation that had comforts, creature comforts, we have them. If there ever was a generation that had material blessings that pertain to the outside, the body, instead of the soul, we possess them. In fact, they become so overwhelming that the tendency is that they will crush the spirit. And in crushing the spirit, deprive us of that which alone can give us grace and blessing. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And consequently, as I speak of these matters today, I am concerned primarily with your spiritual estate and primarily with your spiritual growth and your nurture and your development in grace. And if this church is going to grow in grace, these are the means that we must imply. And these are the means that we must do attend to as individuals, as we plan our lives, as we order our time, and as we live each day that God graciously gives to us the breath to breathe. Well, I'm going to read to you now from the, short, the larger catechism. Let me read you what it has to say about the Bible or about the Word being an effectual means. There it is. Question 100. 55, the Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, and effectual means. The Spirit of God maketh the reading of the Word. You know why at the beginning of our service of worship we have the reading of the Scripture? Because the Spirit of God will use the reading of this Word as a means when you sit in that pew. And one thing I like to see is the pastor of this church, I see it sometime especially more on Sunday evening. But you folks will come in here Sunday evening and you'll be sitting here in the church and at different times I pass down I'll see somebody sitting over here with the Bible open. You're just reading it. Just reading it. You got here a little early and you just decide you'd read the Bible. The Spirit of God uses the reading of the Word but especially the preaching of the word as an effectual mean of enlightening, means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners. I know that I mentioned this or not, but I had an interesting experience in that midnight meeting in <coughs> Milwaukee or Wauwatosa. 
And here, were, here was a, a doctor, president of the medical association of the town. Here were other men, an industrialist with a very fine man. He, he and his wife, and they gave us a very fine contribution. He says, you know, Dr. McIntyre, he says, I'm just sick of going to church. He says, I'm still an Episcopalian. He says, I don't go very often, but the only time I go, I go for the organ recital. He says, I can't get anything out of the preacher. And he says, uh, last Sunday, he said, I went and the preacher got up and praised Martin Luther King. And he says, that was too much for me. But he says, I went for the organ recital. <laughs> he went for the organ recital. And he says, that's all he could get out. And I said, sir, I said, you better get out of that place as quickly as you possibly can. He said, well, that's what I'm going to do. We must be in places where the word is preached. And God's Spirit has promised to take the preaching of the Word and effectively use it to enlighten. There's not a single one of you people listening to me right now who do not need more enlightenment. And the way you receive it is by the means of the preaching of the Word of God. Convincing and humbling sinners. Beloved, the only power there is that can take a man who is a sinner and who's lost and bring him to a place of conviction and to a place where he'll humble himself and repent and cry out to God. The only power on this earth that can do it is the Word of God. Nothing else can accomplish that. This is the means that God has ordained for that purpose. Now this catechism question goes on of driving them out of themselves and drawing them to Christ. And oh, when I read that, beloved, when you sit under the preaching from this pulpit, you are not drawn to Carl McIntyre. Thank God for that. You are drawn to Jesus Christ. And everything that we're presenting, everything that we're offering is that we will hold up to you the Son of God and everything that the Bible teaches from beginning to end is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this word will bring you to Jesus. This word will bring Jesus down into your hearts. And only Jesus can help us. Now this is the larger catechism as it summarizes these great teachings from the Bible of drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. The first means of grace. Now may I read you this next question. What is required of them who hear this word preached? And here's the summary of the teaching of the scriptures. It is required of those who hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures. Receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the Word of God. Meditate and confer on it. Hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Beloved, the first means that God has ordained 
whereby you and I are going to pass on what he's given us to the generation at the turn of this year or at the turn of any year is the word of the living God. I wonder how many of us meditate on it daily. We should. I uh, tell you people that the troubles we've had this past week sent me right back to this book. Your pastor came right back to it. And furthermore, I find a lot of text in there that I'd never seen with such brilliance and such radiance. You have troubles and then you find out that the Bible had all the troubles before you had them. They're all there. And they're there for our comfort. The Word of God. How many of you people carry little testaments with you? How many of you carry little... Te you have your Bibles, of course, and we have Bibles everywhere and we all have them. But how many carry little testaments with you? So you have it with you to read. I mentioned in my announcement that uh, I'd met this young lad up in Wisconsin. Very, very bright young fellow. Brilliant young fellow. And he was one of four lads that this doctor had paid the way down to Cape May last June for this youth conference. And I remember when these four lads came into Cape May and they saw that ocean, they said they were going to swim across it. I haven't gotten over the determination they had. I, I just told them they shouldn't start out. But uh, here I ran into him again up there. Here he was. Oh, my, how... You know what he had? A little testament. A little testament. Read a little testament. When I found out that he was going down to ICY, and they said, well, here, you don't fly down tomorrow. You just get in the car and go with him. And so I said, I'll ride with you, son. He says, fine. You know what he had? That little Volkswagen, little bug. And I can hardly get in one of those things. <laughs> you should see me turning around and bowing down, and especially the lower appendages trying to get into that place. And when I got into that place, and he got on the other side, and he was just smiling and beaming, he had a sign up there, warning, ride in this car at your own risk. <laughs> well, I, was, I knew I needed a warning. But you know what the warning said? He said, the driver may suddenly disappear at any moment. Instructions, in case the driver disappears. <laughs> And I started to read the instructions. He says, you don't need that. He says, you'll go with me when I go. <laughs> Wasn't that thrilling? A young lad just talking like that. He pulls out of his pocket. He says, I've got some tracks. He said, I have some tracks. He said about this. And you know what the instructions were? Of course, I don't need the instructions and you don't need them either. Those of you that believe because we're all going to go up in that moment when he takes us home to glory. Uh, the instruction was, reach over and grab the steering wheel and then gradually move over and take the driver's seat and go to such and such an address, and here it is, the address of the church, and report that, that I'm gone. Imagine going to your church and reporting to your preacher that you've gone. And then the story goes on, the little track, it's a blessed little track, it says, now you don't need to do this if you'll read further, and then there is the message of personal salvation. Just a precious message to tell somebody how they can be saved. And this idea, beloved, that we're going to be caught out into the clouds, it's radical. It's astounding, utterly astounding when you talk to people. 
When I got on the plane yesterday to go down to St. Louis, the place was full, and I was about the last one on, and there was one seat left over. I sat down on it, and there was a man on the other side by the window, and then there's a woman in the middle there. And she looked at me. I had a picture somebody had given me for Cape May, and I had loaded down. I was really loaded down. I looked more like a tramp than a preacher. I really did. And I got on that, and I unloaded, and she looked at me, and she says, Well, you're pretty bundled up or something. And made a comment. I said, Yes, and I sat down. We got to talking. And she said to me, she says, you know, she says, someday, she says, I'm afraid I'm going to wake up and there won't be any sunshine. She says, I'll be gone. I said, are you afraid to die? Well, she says, maybe I'm not afraid, but she says, I'm still fighting it. I'm still fighting it. She says, you know, years ago, she says, I was operated on and I, I had to have five doctors to hold me to get me under the anesthesia, but finally I gave in. She says, I think that'll be the way it is when I die. I said, lady, I said, lady, you don't understand. And then I said, we're in the plane. I said, I, I'm expecting that the Lord might come and just take me out of this plane and you'd be left sitting here. She looked at me. She just looked at me and she looked at me and I said, lady, I'm a preacher. She says, my father was a preacher too. I said, you've been born again? Yes, yeah. she says, I was baptized. I said, lady, I didn't say, oh, she says, I was dumped. She says, I got it good, sir. She says, I'm all right. I says, no, lady, you are not all right. I says, all the dunking in the world won't take you up there to be with Jesus. The only thing that'll take you to be with Jesus is your faith. And I sat there and I talked to that woman and she became so interested. And then she finally opened up and told him about her life. And she had a divorce in her life and a heartbreak. And she began to tell me these things. And I says, lady, I says, there's only one thing for you to do. And that is to read the word of God. And I quoted it to her and quoted it to her. And I says, you've got to read the word. I says, lady, I says, you go up just to this place, this far. I go beyond the door of death. I know what's on the other side. I know what it's like over there. And I know that when I go through that door, I will see Jesus because he's there waiting to receive me. She said, oh, I wish I could have something like that. Oh, beloved, our country is just full of people, just full of people. Uh, she works for one of the well-known companies of this country. She told me what her job was, a fine job. There are all kinds of people in this country that just go up so far and they don't know, they don't know. But beloved, if you have this Bible and you have this message, you not only know, but you enter into the fullness of the revelation and the joy in your heart that God Almighty is going to take care of you. And I quoted to her, I said, did you ever hear this lady? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Oh, beloved, you listen to the preaching of the Word. You sit under the preaching of the Word. You take this Word, get your little testaments, get you some little tracts. You know, I, I'd like to get one of those warnings and stick it on my car. The only trouble is I don't carry too many other people around with me that aren't saved. Warning! Ride in this car at your own risk. Little things like that will stir some people. Little things like that will arrest people. And if we're going to be believers, if we're going to be the treasure that God speaks of here, then let's accept and enter into all that God has given us and let's employ the means that he has ordained to that end. A second means is the matter of the sacrament. I'm not going to develop those now, except that does tie 
in with the ministry of the word, the responsibility of the church in the administering of these sacraments. And beloved, I am for the church. The church has been ordained by our God to carry on this witness. And we stand in a pulpit here that God is protected and guarded and we stand for some great and holy things. And I am here to build a church. Yesterday afternoon, I was riding in a car with another gentleman. He says, Dr. McIntyre says, the difference between you, and he mentioned another well-known man that's on the radio, is that everything he's doing, he's building it around himself, and when he goes, that'll be the end of it. But he says, you're building in the church. I says, that's right, sir. I says, when McIntyre goes, there's going to be a church here. And when McIntyre goes, there's going to be some other things that I help build. And these aren't mine. They don't belong to my family. They don't belong to me. They belong to the movement, to the church. And that something is being built here which will be able to carry on according to the structure that God's given us. And I'm for the church. And I think you people ought to be in the church and support the church. And you ought to uphold the kind of a church where the word of God is being presented. And as things are crumbling about us, and people are saying, I'm unchurched, I'm unchurched, I'm unchurched. It's a good thing to be unchurched when the church you've left is preaching unbelief and it's yoked up with apostasy. But you can't stop there. You must go on out there and help build and maintain Bible-believing churches where these great covenant promises are maintained. I told you I was going to use this illustration. I'll give it to you now. Years ago, out there in St. Louis, there was this dear man of God, withdrew, took his stand. He had a little family. He stood all by himself. And he came to us and says, I want to be Bible Presbyterian. We've always been this. We're going to be this. He says, we're going to start a little church out here. And you know that man has been an elder, and he's had troubles and struggles, and men have come and gone. And yesterday we dedicated the little church. And the place was full. It must have been about uh, 50 or 60 people there. It's out in a nice neighborhood. They've got a young man there that's been at Faith Seminary. And oh, he's just working and visiting. And they had a children's choir. And that little church is just going to do a nice, wonderful work out there. And uh, he sat over here with his wife and his daughter and uh, his son. But alongside of his daughter was sitting another fellow. A young man was sitting right alongside of his, his daughter. And uh, when they met me at the airport in the morning, this fellow was along too. Of course, I didn't ask any questions, but I had an idea that maybe the girl had something to do with his presence. Usually does. And uh, I didn't ask any questions. I didn't say anything. We went on down to the big rally in the afternoon, and after that was over, I had a chance to talk to a dear lady that had been down to Cape May. She says, oh, Dr. McIntyre, she says, remember last Sunday I asked you to pray, and she told me about this dear loved one. She's got these fine children. And she knows the truth. She knows the issues. She knows these things. And she knows she ought not to stay in the apostasy, and she's out here in the such and such a Presbyterian church. And I asked you to pray. Well, she says she's made her decision. She's made her decision. And she made it in such a way now that it's most difficult for me even to talk to her. But she told me that she was staying in the Presbyterian church. She said they had a beautiful building, had good choirs, a lot of young people. 
And she said it wouldn't hurt her, and she wanted her young people to, to grow up with all these other young people. They've got a swimming pool. He said, they have parties. My young boys and girls are going to be a, the, the nicest company. And she says, I'm going to stay in for the sake of my children. You know what that dear lady said to me? She says, oh, Dr. McIntyre, you can see what's happening to her children. She says, already, she says, they're mixed up with the wrong crowd. We went to the dedication service. This lady and her husband were out there, not the one that's staying in the United Prairie Church, but these, the relatives that asked me to pray about. Here was this elder and his family. And here's a woman who says, I'm staying in because my children will have all these advantages. And here's a man who says, I'm getting out because of the truth, but I'm going to stand for the truth and God will take care of my children. And here's his lovely girl. She plays the piano. She played the piano. And what was it all about? Well, I heard the nice story that this lad, this young man, who was one of our faith seminary students, had proposed to her on a bus. And she had accepted him on the bus. And they were going to get married on the 4th of July. And you know, this elder and his wife, they talked to me. They said, we're so happy Ruth has got a preacher. <laughs> Ruth is going to have, a, we're going to have a preacher in our family. Uh, just think what the Lord has done for us. And I, his face beamed and his wife was just as happy. And I said, God gave you your daughter because you didn't put her above the Lord. And when you parents put your children above the Lord, you're going to lose them. But when you put the Lord above your children, God will give you your children. And God doesn't require buildings and swimming pools and parties and all of this thing that goes with these worldly churches in order to save your children. The only thing that will save your children is the Word of God. And they must see that word in you. They must see that word in your decisions. They must see that word in what you do. And God will use it in their dear hearts. And in his good providence, this dear little girl that's been alone all these years in that poor little Sunday school, she ran off with one of our best preachers. How did it happen? And I said to him later, I said, how did you propose to her on... Uh, uh, well, I won't go into the proposal. <laughs> That's getting just a little bit too close, but it's there. It's there. And when I think now about what God is doing for us, a Christian high school, yes, we're moving into a great area here. A Christian college that we're building, and we're going to have to attend to these things. I pick up the Chicago Tribune, and here's a big story about crime increasing, and they're going to have to tax the people. I pick up the New York Times and they're going to spend $50 million on new policemen up there, more taxes. Philadelphia, they tell, are going to have to do the same thing. And as the crime multiplies and the homes break down and these elements of character in the individual which are formed by no other process than the truth of God and the Spirit of God, and as the churches crumble and break down, greater weights of taxation and control come over us and we must take care of these children of ours. We must take care of these young people of ours. And we must instruct them in the sound doctrines so they'll understand the glories that God has revealed to us in Jesus Christ. 
And when that grips the mind and the soul of these young men, then they dedicate their lives to Christ and to the cause, and nothing can turn them aside. Yes, beloved, let's have some more family prayers and family altars in our church. You young families that have the children, take time to read the Bible, will you please? Take time to teach them the catechism, will you please? Oh, my friend, please, please don't neglect these little ones. And don't send them, bring them. Bring them. And let them be in the house of God. And let them come to understand and to love the precious things that have to do with building the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Frankly, I want to tell you today, on this last day of the year, the pressures, the troubles are multiplying, and these young people are going to have a more difficult world to live in than the one you and I live in. They've got trials ahead of them. If they're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ as we want them to, and we must establish them and teach them, let's have family prayers. Let's have family altars. Let's let the little boys hear Daddy pray and let Mother and Daddy set the example before them in their home. And then when it comes time to go to church, if you've got guests and visitors, you say, well, I'm sorry, my friend, but come go with us to church. Well, well please excuse us. All right, we're going to church. We go to the house of God. Yesterday I picked up this Time magazine article on how America drinks. You know what this story tells us? That over this weekend, this holiday weekend, the United States will spend one billion one hundred million dollars on drink. One billion one hundred million dollars on drink. And two out of every three people now, the story tells us, drink. And furthermore, they've come to the finest, finest uh, uh, appraisal. Alcohol uh, has now become a part of our culture. America is beginning to realize that an alcoholic is a sick man rather than a sinner. And then we come on down with the story, even the churches which once stood resolute with the dries are gradually reversing their position. The National Council of Churches of Christ has joined sociologists and doctors in urging that the legal drinking age, 21 in most states, be dropped to 18. Publications of the Methodist who long practiced or avowed total abstinence are freely discussing such subjects as appropriate and inappropriate drinking. Here this has been let down. Woe be unto the man that puts a bottle to his neighbor's lips. It goes on to tell you here that three-fourths of the high school students of the country are now drinking. And I can say to you people that I've lived in Collingswood these many years. We live over here next to our high school. And one of the regular tasks that my wife now has, she goes out almost every day and takes the beer bottles off our front yard that are left there by the students going to the Collingswood High School. There it is. And this will keep up and keep up. And in a few years, we'll have a referendum and Collings will be turned upside down. Beloved, it's in the home. And don't you parents drink cocktails in the presence of your children or anywhere and set the kind of a life and kind of an example that you need to have. Somebody told me very not very long ago, well, Dr. McIntyre, we agree with you, but we've decided we're going to go join the such and such a Presbyterian church down in the other town because they permit them to drink cocktails there and we think you're against that. You see? 
Oh, the Christians that have forgotten that their body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And let's keep our bodies clean. Let's take our bodies and let the Lord Jesus Christ be seen in us. And let's live for him. And let's have homes and let's have choirs. And let's have officials in the church that set the kind of an example that this church should have. Well, I think that's enough for Jacob for one time. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank Thee for the means of grace. Oh, this matter of the Word, it's first. And then this matter of prayer. Lord, give us private prayers. Give us family prayers. Give us congregational prayers. Father, may we go into 68 as Thy people have done throughout all the centuries, waiting upon our God. We know that our God has never changed and he will never change. And that this message of everlasting life is the only message that we have to preach. For Christ's sake, amen. All right, hymn number, oh, this is a good one. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. 690, 698. <clears throat>
Now, Father, take us into the new year with this blessed benediction of grace. Father, teach us to live on less and less so we can give more and more to Jesus. For Christ's sake, amen.